I would say one of the ways that grief shows up in my story is ultimately deciding to, to leave my job as a lawyer and that being a loss. It was very, I write about this, but it was one of those things where like, when I resigned from my job, I felt both empowered and disenfranchised. I, I knew that I was making the decision to save my own life, but I also was really angry about it. I was really upset that I felt like my child had been ripped out of my arms and then my career had been taken from me too because I couldn't function anymore. So, I mean, <laughs> that, you know, that was a form of grief. You're listening to The Wise Woman Podcast, Season 5, Episode 160. I'm your host, Alicia Wilford, founder of Yoke and Abundance, coach to entrepreneurs, creatives, and seekers. This podcast introduces you to women on their journey to flourishing businesses and lives. In today's episode, I'm sharing my conversation with author Katie Joy Duke about her memoir, Still Breathing. Today's podcast is another episode that I have been excited to share with all of you for a while. I'm so excited just to have this conversation with all of you. And it's important, I think, to tell you that we have a disclaimer for this particular episode. We are going to be talking about stillborn death and miscarriage. I hope this episode will be a balm for some listeners. And I want to acknowledge that it might hit too close to home for others. So don't be afraid. I want to write you a permission slip right now. If you need to, just skip this one. However, Katie Joy is amazing and I know you are going to love her. This is her first book and I know it won't be her last. She is a graduate of Florida State University and Vermont Law School. Katie Duke practiced law for nine years before becoming a writer, life coach, and stay-at-home mom. As an English major in college, Katie imagined she'd write a book someday, but never thought it would be about losing a child. Katie's first daughter, Poppy Annabelle, was stillborn at full term on October 26, 2015. She and her husband, Eli, were devastated by their loss. Poppy's life changed everything for Katie, and her death was a catalyst for so much change. Katie has always processed her dreams, life experiences, and feelings through written word. So it made sense she would start writing down her feelings of grief the night she got home from the hospital. She never stopped writing, and what began as a way to understand her own feelings became something bigger, an opportunity for others to feel their own feelings, talk about their grief, and feel less alone in their pain. Still Breathing, My Journey with Love, Loss, and Reinvention is being published by New Degree Press and will be in paperback and ebook in May 2022. As a life coach, Katie works one-on-one and in groups with working professionals and stay-at-home mothers to move out of overwhelm and exhaustion into clarity and flow. Katie lives north of Seattle, Washington, with her husband Eli, rainbow daughter Moxie, 
and their scruffy rescue pup, Wilson. She finds calm and strength through her yoga and meditation practice, loves to cook and dance barefoot in her living room whenever the mood strikes. We are so excited to have Katie on the show after a word from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by Viking Co., a progressive boutique consulting firm that works with entrepreneurs, startups, small to medium-sized companies, and larger organizations to cultivate a place where people love coming to work. With a focus foremost on diversity, inclusion, belonging, and equality, Viking Co. pushes business leaders to push the boundaries of what a great workplace environment means and is for all of their employees. If you're starting from scratch with a small team or if you're looking to grow your current team, Viking Co. can help to scale your business in a way that both adds to the bottom line while also boosting engagement. From talent acquisition, onboarding, and compensation to HR compliance, performance management, and employee relations, Viking Co. has worked with more than 50 companies across the country and worldwide in various stages of growth. If you're looking for strategic guidance on people programs and interim people leadership, contact Viking Co. Your people will thank you. Katie Joy Duke, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to be here. Awesome. I have been looking forward to having you on for months. So you and I are in the book creator program together, and yes. we both have books coming out in May. Yay. Yes. Okay. So can you tell folks, first, let's start with who you are and what keeps you busy in this great, big, beautiful world. Absolutely. So my name is Katie Joy Duke. Um, I am an author, a memoirist, a life coach, a mom, a yogi, a daughter, a wife, so many beautiful things. And what keeps me busy these days? So first and foremost, my uh, my daughter, Moxie, uh, keeps me very busy. Moxie is almost, well, she's about four and a half now, and she is my rainbow baby. And we can talk a little bit more about that later in the podcast, but she is just an incredibly vibrant, a smart, intuitive, kind, curious, silly four-year-old. And I love being her mother. Other things that keep me busy are lately have been writing my book, building out my business. Um, I'm rebranding my coaching business, which is very exciting. So many amazing things. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, okay. I've been thinking about this and wondering where, because I know your story, but I've been yeah. thinking about where should we start sure. with your story? And I'm wondering, where do you want listeners to begin today? Mm. Well, I guess I will say that the the inspiration for writing my book, so I think that's a great spot to start because not I'm 41 and not every 41-year-old has spent six years working on a memoir. So, you know, I mean, we all have big things that happen in our lives, but there aren't, you know, not very many people sit down and actually write it out, right? So that's what I've done. The inspiration for my story was the death of my firstborn daughter, Poppy. She was stillborn at full term in October of 2015. 
And uh, my husband and I were uh, very excited to be her parents and to become a family. And we were devastated when we found out that she no longer had a heartbeat. So I started, oh, thank you. Yeah. And I will say just from the outset, it has been a little over six years and I have talked about my, my loss a thousand times over. And because I have talked about it and because I've done so much healing work, I, I usually can talk about these things without crying. Um, uh, but for the first couple of years, it was very, very hard. And, and, uh, this conversation would have been very different had we been talking about this, you know, a few months in. I know. And you and I have just met in the last 11 months. Yeah. And, um, so your story to me, while I know it, it's still, every time I hear it, like I, it just, the energy of it and yeah. the truth of your words, um, mm. they just, they, they touch my heart every time I hear it. And mm. it's another reason I was so excited to, to share you with the oh. folks at Yoke and Abundance. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So I started writing my memoir. I I really did the night that we got home from the hospital. It wasn't a book at that point, of course, and I had no idea where it was going, but I have, uh, I journaled, I was journaling about my, my feelings and my loss. And it was a very sweet little journal that my mother had sent me in a care package. Just this, it was like little four by four. I actually have it at my fingertips. Well, anyways, it doesn't matter, but this little tiny journal and I'd woken up from a very powerful dream and wanted to capture those thoughts. And yeah, that's where the story starts. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about what happened? Yeah, absolutely. So just to kind of take a step back from that devastating discovery in the hospital that, that Poppy was, was gone. Um, my husband and I had, uh, that the February before Poppy was born, my husband asked me to marry him on a very romantic, uh, vacation in Kauai. Um, one of the tiniest islands in Hawaii, an incredible place for anyone who ever, uh, is listening. Definitely take a chance on Kauai if you get to visit. And uh, it was an incredible, uh, you know, saying yes to him, being so excited to to be his fiance. And uh, we had a an, an unexpected surprise, which was finding out the very next day uh, that we were pregnant with our daughter. And <laughs> so, Katie, I I've had the privilege of reading your book, yeah, <laughs> reading advanced copy of this book. And part of me, because I loved your book so much, and because. I think that the way you write, you just have these unexpected stories in every chapter that I don't want to give away. Part of me is like, oh, I know, I know. How do I tell the, how do I tell the listeners about this without giving away how special this is? Yeah, no, it's, it's true. It's, it is. It, well, and you know, I think that that was actually one of the reasons why when she did die, I, I knew that the story would be about my grief. I, I knew that I wanted to share with the world the the loss and the the devastation and you know all those the feelings that come with going through one of life's hardest uh, tragedies. And I I also knew that there was this incredible love story to tell. So I I I knew that. 
two, two, two love stories. I mean, there's, it's really a love story. It's yeah. interesting because it's a grief story. It's a story of loss, but it is a story of love as well. And, and, and a love that continues. I mean, my husband and I are actually just coming up on our seventh wedding anniversary. Uh, we got married April 25th and we're, we're excited. We're, we're kind of trying to figure out what we're going to do, but we also want to play off of the idea of the seven year itch. And I'm thinking of doing some sort of like silly, like covering ourselves in like, like red chicken pox dots or something and like scratching ourselves or something, just making a joke. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Like we want to make a joke of it because we have survived. I mean, we, you know, and within our, with the, we celebrated our first wedding anniversary and we were six months into our grief process. So it was not what uh, a young newlywed couple ever imagines they would go through. And we have, we have, we have made it. And I, and I love Eli very much and it's been very hard. You know, I, I, that's one thing I will never candy coat um, the challenges that he and I have had and the challenges that our loss brought to us as a couple and, and, and also in many ways have brought us together, you know, our, our bond having gone through that experience and, and survived it and have gotten this far and now have, you know, another daughter who is incredible and, you know, we keep reinventing ourselves. So, well, Katie, it's interesting. Um, I don't, I think I've mentioned this to you. My very closest friend from high school had actually the same thing happen Mm -hmm. um, to her. And so Chelsea got married, um, much earlier than I did. So she got married right out of college and all she ever wanted to be was a mom. That was Mm -hmm. like the story she wanted for herself. And she got pregnant with Wiley, had a phenomenal, just a phenomenal pregnancy until the very end, Mm -hmm. right? And the exact same situation, and I I won't share, I'll let you share your story. But what I think is so important about you telling your story, I think you telling your story is very important, but we as women don't hear these stories, often. Mm -hmm. So when it happens, it comes as such an additional shock, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And so I wish that your book had been available that I could have sent her then. I don't know what you're going through, but you're not alone. Yes. That's exactly what happened to me. A a girlfriend of mine, my, my best friend from law school, Althea, sent me a copy of a book written, a memoir written by another author who had gone through the same type of loss. Of course, her circumstances were very different as they all are. But that reading that book, I read that book within the first two weeks of coming home from the hospital. And it one showed me that I wasn't alone Two validated all the crazy feelings that I was already having. And three inspired me to write mine and know that my, my story was worth telling. And to Chelsea, your friend, and what was her baby's name? Wiley. And Wiley, you know, I think that my book will, I'd still love you to give Chelsea a copy of my book, you know, and and for anyone that I think what's so exciting for me about this book is it's going to be, I believe, a powerful story for anyone that's in 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 an acute situation where they're just grieving, where they've just lost their child. And also, I know that it's going to be a beautiful story for all those women who are in their, they're in their fifties, their sixties, their seventies, 
that they had stillborn children, that they lost a child and they didn't get to talk about it. It wasn't okay to talk about it. It wasn't socially acceptable. It wasn't encouraged. Those babies were taken out of their arms. They never got to hold them. They didn't get any pictures with them. You know, I mean, that was devastating. And, and that's really one of the things that I, you know, as I sort of discover what platform I like using my voice as an advocate for stillbirth awareness and speaking about these things and, and acknowledging, normalizing this whole, this whole experience that over 24,000 families experience every year in the United States. Like that's, that's the number of babies that are stillborn in the U S every single year, which means that another 48,000 parents are going through this, which means that today mommies and daddies are discovering that their children are no longer alive, but that it's a, it's going to be a book that allows people to go into those tender places inside their heart that are still unhealed and and need to be need to be nurtured and need to be remembered. So I'm I'm very excited for what this book is going to mean for those people as well. Yeah. Yeah. The themes of grief in your book play out not just in in what happened with your daughter, but mm-hmm. also in other ways. Can you share a story with us about about how grief shows up in the book? Well, I think one of the the things that is really relevant when it comes to grief is we have the initial loss. So in my case, the initial loss was Poppy dying. And then what is what the the way that it's phrased in sort of the the grief community is the secondary losses. So everything that a person loses in addition to the sort of the fallout, I guess that's kind of like the easiest way to say it. And, you know, one of the ways that grief shows up in my book is with my profession. I was a lawyer when Poppy died. I had been practicing law for almost nine years at that point, and I was a social security disability advocate. So I would go with my clients to their hearings and appear in front of an administrative law judge and argue their case. And I was really good at it. And I really cared about my clients. I, I I was definitely, I would say I fell on the spectrum of compassionate lawyers, you know, lawyers that really cared and really, really had what it took to be with people in their difficult times. When I tried returning to work after Poppy died and doing the same type of work, it was a whole nother world for me because whereas I had had sort of these protective shields up these healthy boundaries these barriers where i could i could read and and explore and ask questions about someone's trauma i was i was removed from it but afterwards every single case felt re-traumatizing to me because mm. i was i didn't have i was in it like i was also traumatized i had not had time to process my loss and I think in some ways, it, like being with these other, with being with my clients, uh, woke up all sorts of the, other, the, the secondary losses. So I would say one of the ways that grief shows up in my story is ultimately deciding to, to leave my job as a lawyer and that being a loss. It was very, I write about this, but it was one of those things where like when I resigned from my job, I felt both empowered and disenfranchised. I, I knew that I was making the decision to save my own life, 
but I also was really angry about it. I was really upset that I felt like my child had been ripped out of my arms and then my career had been taken from me too, because I couldn't function anymore. So, I mean, (laughs) that, you know, that was a form of grief. I mean, grief definitely is a thread. I, um, three years ago, I just actually celebrated the, well, I guess celebrate. I don't know if that's the right word, but memorialized the passing of my father. He died three years ago. Um, February 27th was his date of death. And actually, I I think it was either March 2nd or March 3rd. So it would have been today. It's funny that we're, I love synchronicities of dates, but that we celebrated a memorial. We had a memorial for him. And his, his passing was sort of the, the, well, I've ended my, my memoir ends with my experience of losing my father. And it was a very, well, my dad became my, my number one fan, my, my biggest supporter, my greatest advocate after Poppy died, he and I had an incredible relationship beforehand, but, but it deepened and it transformed in ways that that I was so grateful for it. Like he was, he was there for me in ways that when I felt like, like when I didn't know who else to, to trust or talk to, like, I knew that my dad was there for me. And, and when he died, it was very interesting because Poppy's death was unexpected. You know, it was traumatic. We had no idea. We had no, was, we couldn't anticipate it. These are, and, and as I, as I, integrate into this, like the grief community at large, there's also something called like anticipatory grief, which Mm -hmm. I've now, that's another phrase, sort of, we've got the secondary losses, anticipatory grief. I'm learning these things. But so with my father, there was this anticipatory grief where I, I knew that he was dying. We, he was in hospice. I knew he was not going to live. And because of that, and because of what I had learned from Poppy, who really became a spirit guide and became a, a guiding force in my life to, to teach me lessons. Um, I was able to have really amazing conversations with my dad before he passed away. Mm-hmm. And I'm so, I, I feel so lucky for having had the courage to have those conversations and, and to con- essentially to confront him with the truth of, of his mortality, right? Because a lot of, I mean, we all know, m- most of us walk around in total denial about all sorts of things, right? And I wasn't in denial about what was happening with my dad. And, um, and so we could actually grieve together. We grieved together before he died. And that's and- something that I, I just want to encourage people to do when they know, like to have those conversations, to to remember before the death, yeah. before the That's loss. so powerful, being able to have those conversations. I'm really, you just mentioned it, that Poppy w- became very much like a spirit guide for you. And I really mm-hmm. believe that those that pass still talk to us. Oh, yeah. And that it's absolutely still possible for us to have a relationship with them. And one of my favorite things about your book is how alive your relationship with Poppy is. Mm. And I'm wondering if you can talk about, was that something that you were open to before? Is it something, is it a relationship that changed the way you thought about things? Just yeah, anything you want to share around that? Sure. Yeah. 
it's definitely something that developed after she died. I, I would say with, with hands down, I, bef- before Poppy died, you know, it's so interesting. I've, I've talked about this a lot and I've written about this to myself. A lot of the journaling, you know, those pages that no one ever, ever sees. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, they're important. Nobody needs to see that stuff. Uh, <laughs> I died the day Poppy died. Like the the woman that existed before Poppy's death died. There was a very real line in the sand. And for months and months and months, and probably I would say for really the first year after she died, it, it was I mean, I counted the days. I mean, as as a new mommy does, I mean, that's that's like the irony of the whole thing is that, you know you're out and about, you've got a brand new baby ever since. Oh, how old is she? And you're like, Oh, you know, 17 days, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's just like two and a half weeks, you know, you're counting every moment. I counted every moment too, but I was counting the days I didn't have her. No, I, and, and I felt like I was four days old, like I was eight days old, like I was 17 weeks old. I was a, I was a, a new quote unquote person, but I was completely undefined. I had, I was unraveling, you know, like everything that I thought was certain and knowable and guaranteed was uncertain and unknowable and not guaranteed. Like (laughs) everything was right. And so all of like the spiritual truths, right. Everything that that I had sort of dabbled in before Poppy died in terms of being a yogi and, and reading incredible literature. I mean, you know, from, from Buddhist philosophy to um, gosh, I mean, now my mind is going to totally blank, but things like even like the prophet, like we, Mm -hmm. the prophet by Khalil Gibran and Rumi and, you know, all incredible, you know, and some of the Bible, you know, some of Jesus's teachings, some of Buddha's teachings, the Dalai Lama that, I mean, it goes on and on. Um, Tit Hat Nan, I hope I said his name right. And I know he just recently passed, but so many incredible teachers, all of these things started to make more sense Mm -hmm. after I'd gone through my loss and I, I have to give major kudos to my friends who had the courage to plant seeds for me in this knowing, like helped me. I've, I've looked back at things like my friend Lucia sent me a series of love letters after Poppy died. They were so amazing. They just kept coming in the mail. And I, I mentioned these in my, my memoir, but like they would, I mean, they, she'd talked to me about my grief, but she talked to me about like her kid crapping in her pants. Like she talked about all these things that just like real life stuff, right. Just, just, but just was with me, but things that she also did was we've talked about this, you and I, but she like gave me permission to believe whatever I needed to believe. <laughs> and, and I needed that in those moments, I needed someone to say, it's okay for you to, to believe things differently. Now it's okay for you to live life differently. If you want to, it's, a, it's okay to, you know, whatever is going to get you through, go for it. And uh, a friend, another friend of mine, her name is joy. Um, joy was the one who suggested to me that Poppy, that Poppy's purpose was fulfilled in the time that 
she was in my womb, that what Poppy needed. So, so, you know, some people believe that we, that we make a contract with our, that our souls contract before an incarnation. And I, I really, I do believe I had always as a kid and growing up, like there was sort of like a deeper knowing or a curiosity in me about where I got sort of the, the qualities of my essence, like why I showed up the way I did in the world. Like, where, where does this come from? Like, I, like, even I remember being 14, 15, 16 years old and in those quiet moments with myself going like, is this really just from this life? Like, am I having these feelings? It always felt like I was carrying some wisdom from before, right? Like that something was coming with me that I, that I came into the world with. And so after Poppy died and people started like my friend Joy in particular suggested to me, Katie, and I, I just commend her for her courage because it takes a lot of chutzpah to like say these things to a person and to say it in a way that's like loving and not like, I don't know. I mean, I think your listeners will understand that. I think you do too, but I commend her for her courage. She suggested that Poppy had a purpose and that in the time that she was here, she fulfilled it. And that was like, whoa, it took me, it's, I sat with that. And then I had my own experiences with sort of coming to, to believe that that was in fact the case, like for Poppy's in her own life. Right. Cause we, if we all have a soul, then Poppy had one, Poppy has one obviously. And, and she got what she needed and that I got to be her mommy, that I got to be the one. Yeah. What a blessing that I, that I, and that, and that her, her life that she chose me, that, that I got to nurture her life while she was with me. And then, and then I'm keeping her spirit alive. And so, and I, and I write this in her book, but I really believe that she's the essence of love. Like, I mean, she, she never, she never wanted for anything. She was, she, she never, you know, she never cried. She never felt any pain. She, all she knew was love. And all I knew was the love that I loved of her. I, you know, and so to, to answer your question, like I have definitely developed my spiritual life has definitely deepened and grown and developed because of Poppy and what she, yeah, how she continues to show up for me and people that know of her and now through this book. Yeah. I really want to talk to you more about the way Poppy shows up. And I, I don't, I want listeners to go okay. to <laughs> read your book Yeah, and I want to have you back on for a part two, because okay. I think that the way Poppy content has showed up in your life, even after she left this earth mm-hmm. and the way she continues to show up, I think it's really profound. Mm. And her story has taught me a lot and I feel like listeners can benefit from that. And I'm so glad I don't have any meetings after this podcast episode because I'm I'm having a hard time getting through it without like bursting into major tears here. (laughs) So, well, we have to do a part two of this, but there's a piece of your story that I wanted to really make sure we talked about, not because it's easy, but because I know, I know women who have had miscarriages. I know mm-hmm. women who have had children that were stillborn and you talk in your book about the question, and I'm not going to get through this 
sorry, I'm trying <laughs> about the question about, um, am I a mother? Mm. Can you talk to us about those feelings and how you were able to work through that mm. when it happened? Yeah. Um, gosh, you know, it, it, it really, that's such an amazing, it's an important question, especially for all of the women who have experienced loss. And in particular, before there is another pregnancy or, uh, you know, I have been so fortunate and so blessed to have my daughter Moxie and she knows how incredibly fortunate she is and we are, and we're such a happy family. But I mean, just yesterday I spoke with a mom who her daughter Madeline died, would be 12. And she did not have any children after Madeline, even though she tried. And so, but, and she is a mother. Yeah. She is a mother. She is Madeline's mother and she will always be Madeline's mother. And Madeline will always be her daughter. Right. And so I definitely struggled with whether I was a mother. And I think what's really interesting to consider here is that I will, I will confess, I like to call myself a recovering perfectionist, but I am definitely like perfectionism is it's part of my survival mechanism. It's, it's, it's part of how I have made it this far in my life. It, you know, and it, it serves me and it also holds me back. Right. So, but one of the interesting things that Brene Brown says about perfectionism is that there's this constant need for external validation. It's like that the world it, it's, it's complicated. Right. But I mean, cause I, I am my worst critic, but also like perfectionism has a lot to do with sort of being seen as a certain way. Right. And, and, and the, and an interesting thing I think about that too, is that like the question is, well, no matter how much the world loves you or praises you, are you ever going to be enough? So that's sort of like, that could be an, another podcast. Whole other podcast. Whole other <laughs> yeah. podcast. That has nothing to, that's the life coaching side of things. But what I will say is that connecting that to the question of motherhood, what was so hard was being in the world again mm. and not having my child not having nothing. I mean, growing a human takes a lot of energy. It, it, you know, I mean, any woman who's ever gone through pregnancy mothers out there, you, we know like you, it is exhausting no matter how golden it is. And which mine was both of mine were really good pregnancies. Like it is exhausting. So I, here I am like trying to be in the world again, trying to show up. And the question is like, okay, well, who, who am I? Like, am I a mother? Right. Am I? And what, what I will say that I had to do. And I, again, I don't, this isn't in my book, but definitely in my own sort of coming to terms through my own journaling was all of the energy that I had anticipated pouring into my daughter I had to flip back on myself. I had to start mothering myself. I had to learn how to parent myself because as much as my mom and dad showed up for me and sometimes didn't, <laughs> especially my mom, I love you, mom, but come on, let's be real. She'll agree. And she'll listen to this and, and she'll, she'll, she'll understand. I mean, there were moments when like, but you know, as much as like I wanted my mommy, right. 
I needed my mommy to be there, right? She couldn't be. I had to become my own mother. I had to source my own inner strength and my own energy and my own faith and my own just, just, and, and I, and I got a lot of help uh, in my acknowledgements. I'm like to all my healers, <laughs> to all of those people that like poked me with needles and, and, you know, and, and uh, I mean, all of it, like, to, you know, thank you. Cause I could not have gotten through this on my own. Absolutely. Could not have gotten through this alone. So I, you know, it's one thing I would say, ask for help, learn. That's one of the things I learned how to do. Poppy taught me how to ask for help. I am not. Yeah. I tell you what, one of my biggest lessons, I know how to ask for help. I know how to admit when I can't do it alone and I don't try to do it alone anymore. I don't, you know, like no biggie. Like I need your help. I'm calling in that card. Like, you know, for anyone who's listening, if you, if you're in, if you're in a state of need and you have that friend who said, let me know if there's something I can do, call them up, like actually cash in on that tab. I kept a list of people after Poppy died who said, you know, I don't know what to do right now, but just let me know if there's anything ever. I actually wrote those people's names down. And when the time came up, I could look at that list and go, that person actually could help me with this because I know people want to help. People want to help, but they don't know what to do. And again, that's a whole nother podcast, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so mothering, I, I was a mother even before. I mean, I would say this, it's interesting because I think you become a well, it's so complicated, but depending on what your expectations are and if you're wanting the pregnancy, like, you know, you become a mother the, the moment you find out you're pregnant, everything changes, right? And so I had, I had been a mother to Poppy the whole time and I, and I continue, it's interesting. We have a different sort of relationship right now. Like she doesn't need a mother. <laughs> Poppy doesn't need me to mother her anymore. She's, she's way, way way beyond that. Our relationship is, is, you know, much more cosmic and, and, and high level at this point. But when I look back at those pictures of her, which I don't do very often, because those are, there are only a few things that get me crying anymore about this, you know, um, hearing of new losses and being with new mommies who have lost definitely gets me emotional because I know how painful it is for them and I'm crying for them. But when I look at Poppy's pictures, wow, like when I, when I do remember that she was and is a baby, right. You know, cause that's just sad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, so mothering, we are mothers and I do think it's a choice. I think you also get to identify, right. You get to identify however you want. If you want to say I'm a mother or not, whatever, whatever serves your heart. Mm. Um, and all loss is relevant and all, no matter, one of the interesting things I've learned about recently, there's some research out there around grief and child loss. And the amount of time is actually irrelevant. So in terms of how long you've been pregnant, what's relevant is your level of expectation. Whoa. Yes. Okay. Can you unpack that for us a little? Yeah. And I'm going to learn more about this because it's fascinating, but so let's say you have been trying to get pregnant for two years, right? And finally, oh my goodness, whether it's naturally or, you know, through uh, fertility treatments or whatever, right? Finally, you pee on that stick and it's like, oh, I'm pregnant. And you just have this overwhelming sense of like, oh my God, 
finally, like there's a, there's a life inside of me. I'm going to be a mother. It's going to happen. Right. Like, let's say that that pregnancy then, then for whatever reason, you're four weeks in and for four weeks, you've been dreaming and you're excited and you're, we've already ordered 17 onesies on Instagram or not Instagram or whatever, Amazon, you know what I mean? Etsy, 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 Etsy. Let's yeah. Etsy. And then you find out that the pregnancy is no longer that your, your, your baby's no longer viable, right? The grief that that person can experience is just as much the experience of grief, the feelings, the emotions, the agony, the lo- you know, all of that, the desperation, this, the, all of that can be exactly the same uh, as someone who's giving birth in the hospital and loses a child. So it's very, that's, what's so fascinating. So that's what the research is showing. So what, what's, what I think that, you know, cause I, I do love science. <laughs> Yay for science and researchers and like data, right? Like data is so important the emotions and the feelings, all this, you know, like kind of then putting all those things together and saying, wow. So this is one of the reasons why it's so important to one, be able to talk about and acknowledge all loss and to validate the experience of grief for those people who are going through it. I think, especially for those women who are losing pregnancies early, because one in four pregnancies end in mar- in miscarriage. One in four, 25% of pregnancies end in miscarriage. That's huge. huge. Which means there's a lot of pregnancies that we're not talking about. No. And that's, what's so interesting. So I had, I did the same thing now, not to ruin any surprises with the book, but we chose not to talk about our pregnancy because we wanted to get married and we didn't want our wedding to be about the baby and this sort of thing. But when you think about the cultural practice of waiting until the end of your first trimester to tell people that you're pregnant, I understand people's wants to wanting to be private and yada, yada, that's perfectly fine. But this whole idea of like, okay, now we're going to announce it. Now it's safe, quote unquote. Now we can tell people that we're pregnant. What happens is it leaves that massive number of women and and fathers who have experienced a miscarriage. And sometimes I would say probably women get pregnant, have a miscarriage and never even tell their husbands because they just don't even want to deal. Like, so they're carrying that around. I mean, there's so many different scenarios, but we have all these people who never told anyone they were pregnant, got attached to this idea of being pregnant, then lost the pregnancy. And now they're like, wait a second. Now I just tell people, but no one... You know, but you're like got excited with you. Nobody got, nobody got yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So then you're just like alone in your grief. And you're like, I don't even know who to talk to because I never told anyone I was pregnant. So I do think, although you don't need to be blasting that you're pregnant, like you don't need to be taking pictures of pee sticks and putting them on Facebook or anything like that. I do think telling a trusted small number of people at the beginning of a pregnancy is something that is really important important so that you do, if there is a loss, because the risk is so high. I mean, let's be real people. It's 25%. Like that's big, you know, to be able to have that community and that support. And also to know for women who do go through that, that there are support groups. I mean, when we went to support groups after Poppy died, there were lots of people that were there who had had miscarriages. And I will say from being in the room with them that, you know, now thinking about this research that their experience was of grief was as intense as ours. And they also apologized, you know, like, oh, I know that your experience, you know, I know that your loss was, was worse than mine. And it's like, no, 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 no. We have to get rid of that. Right. 
people feel like they have to apologize. Cause like, Oh, and you, you had a baby and I just had a miscarriage. And it's like, you know, like, come on. If the research shows that your experience of grief is the same, then there's no need to compare. Like comparison is the killer of joy. And in those cases, there is no joy anyway. So it's the triple comparison, triple, triple killer. Well, I, I think it's no um, coincidence. We didn't plan it this way, but we're recording on Ash Wednesday. Ooh. And I feel like there's something, I don't know. I just feel like there's, I don't know what, but I feel like there's something significant about that. Yeah. Um, to me, it's such a, a period of entering into, um, you know, I was raised very Catholic. That's not my okay. faith. And and still, so, you know, 18 years of, of very strict Catholicism, like there's this piece of me that that the ritual and the acknowledgement when you're entering into Lent, you're entering into a time of contemplation. Right. Mm, And so I I love the symbology, like the symbolism of us having this conversation during such a beautiful time of contemplation and thoughtfulness. It's poignant to me. So I really want I want everyone, anyone, this book is for everyone. It's really for anyone who has experienced loss of a pregnancy, but also loss of any type and anyone that loves a good memoir. This is a phenomenal memoir. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, so excited for it to be in folks hands. Um, I'm just, I can't, I can't wait to, to see what your book cover is going to look like yeah, and, and what's next, but what else would you like to share with everyone? Mm. Well, thank you so much for your incredibly kind words. I, I, I will say I have really stepped into my identity as a writer. I'm just, I'm a writer. Like there it you is. Are. You are. <laughs> I am a writer. <laughs> good writer. And it's such, it's so exciting. I, I, um, I feel so, I'm so grateful to be so excited to share such a touching story with the world because, and I, and because it's taken me as long as it has taken me, which is perfectly fine. Timing is fine. I I can, I, I am very excited about the perspective that I can bring to the book. And even what's exciting is I'm planning a blog post about the inspiration for the title of my book. So the title of my book, which I don't know if we've said yet is still breathing my journey with love, loss and reinvention. And the book went through several, I had several different titles over the course of six years. And I'm really excited to share in this blog post where the inspiration for still breathing came from. And I know as you were one of my, my beta readers, Alicia, you, you had commented, you're like, gosh, I love how you carry this theme of breath throughout the entire book. Mm-hmm. So I That's guess my favorite thing about the book, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. I did too. And what was so neat was that that it it all came together in this sort of very just inspired cosmic, again, this like, whoa, signs, inspiration, you know, messages, getting all these like of like, oh gosh, wow, okay. And and then actually as I as I worked on continued to work on the manuscript, seeing how breath my breath, Poppy's breath, 
our collective breath, the universe's, you know, all of it, how, how that thread worked through to the end. And here we are all still breathing, right? We're no matter what, I mean, day by day, moment by moment, breath by breath, here we are, you know, I guess that's what I would say. That's what I would leave the audience with is if you can remember one thing is your breath. Mm, One thing is your breath. You've got it. It's there for you. It's going to keep you, keep you going. (laughs) Well, the last question I have for you is how do you live a life of abundance? Oh, how do I live a life of abundance? Oh gosh, gosh, gratitude, stay, you know, being, um, certainly, you know, you know, this trend of like good vibes only I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) I'm not into the good. That expression. (laughs) I do too. I do too. I'm like, excuse me. Are you not a human? Like, are you a robot? So the way that I live a life of abundance is the abundance of feelings and emotions and experiences and allowing all of it being with all of it, mm-hmm. you know, um, feeling the joy, feeling the sorrow, feeling the exhaustion, feeling the exhilaration, feeling, you know, feeling my feelings, talking about things, celebrating the tiny stuff, like celebrating those little moments, you know, right now the crocuses are, are blooming in my neighborhood. We live north of Seattle and, and the little baby daffodils are starting to come out and some of the bunnies are starting to hop through the neighborhood and all of the little red-breasted robins are just like, this, 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 this. they're so excited. You know, like all of these little things, these are the things like when the crystal uh, catches a ray of sunlight and rainbows shoot across the room, like just being with those simple moments, celebrating a hot shower, you know, the things that just were so fortunate and, and also remembering that, that, you know, abundance is a state of mind as well, even because I have definitely been stuck in lack, you know, what's the opposite abundance, right? Like a scarcity. Right. And, and so just counting my blessings and, and also allowing the normalcy of everyday ups and downs to be there. Well, Katie Joy Duke, I am so grateful to get to talk to you today. And your book, Still Breathing, is absolutely a gift to all of us. Thank Mm. you for being on the show today. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Alicia. You're the best. A huge thank you to you for tuning in today. Let's do it again next week. In the meantime, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you've enjoyed today's show and know another woman who needs to hear this episode too, could you share it with her right now? Just text her the link, but be sure to let her know why this episode is a must listen. Remember, sharing is caring, so spread the love. Thank you so much for being a part of this Yoke and Abundance community. I do it all for you. I hope these episodes make you feel seen, heard, and loved. Now, a huge thank you to our sponsor, Viking Co. Thank you to Ira Sterling of Julia Sound Recording for our theme music. And thank you to my editor, Tumani Johnson of FX Media for his work on today's episode. Keep creating, making, and sharing it with the world because that is true abundance.